it clicked for me because I would talk to people and I would be like, did you really say this? And they'll be like, no, I didn't say that at all. I said this. I heard it in one way and it was something completely different. And a lot of people would make fun of me for it. Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lidach Saberstein. And on the All About Audiology podcast, we bring in personal experiences and guest experts and talk to everybody in this community to find out what is your experience with audiology? How does it affect your life? And today on the show, we are coming back to a topic we've talked about before, sound sensitivities and auditory processing disorder. A couple of episodes back in episode 45, we spoke with Dr. Melissa Karp, who shared a lot about the testing that goes into auditory processing and a little more about sound sensitivities, how we diagnose them and how we treat them. Well, today we are in for a treat to talk to someone who experiences this. And Juliana Pedri is going to share her experience with these things, auditory processing disorder, sound sensitivities, And I think we're going to learn a lot from her experience and some of her tips from living with this. And not only that, Juliana is a podcast manager and a podcaster herself. So we connected in that way. And I was guest on her podcast. So I'm excited. Welcome, Juliana, to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I've been interested in audiology since college. So I'm really excited that I found you and that I had you on as a guest on my show. And then I'm on a guest on your show to talk about my experiences because I have basically 29 years of experience with this. So <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I mean, that's what the show is about too, is not just listening to like the facts or the experts talking about it, but like, how does this show up for you in your life? And not only that, but that you then went into a field where you're in audio all the time. So I'd love to hear how it interacts with your work and everything. But hold on, before we do that, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, anything you want to let us know about you? My name's Juliana. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is really fun. Like you said before, I do podcast management as like my main job. And I also love spending time with like family, my boyfriend, my dog, my dog's here too. And yeah, I'm just more of like a family person. My hobbies include jewelry making. I like to do art. I like to do things in that nature. Also like to go downtown a lot because my family is part of the art scenes. First Fridays, I'm down there all the time and just things like that. So I definitely have fun in the art field. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I like to read, like to write, you know, things like that. (laughs) How has it been in Vegas the last year, basically? It was kind of wild because I grew up here since like middle school on through some college and high school and all of that. And seeing the strip kind of shut down during the pandemic was wild. Like I never seen it before. Everything was closed. My brother-in-law and my cousin ended up roller skating down the strip once when it was like completely empty. No one was there and it was a while to see. But since then, things have been okay. Things have been opening with regulations and people like always have to wear masks when they go in and things like that. And I think Vegas is coming up again, but people are taking very like cautious steps for that to happen. So it's definitely interesting seeing like completely shut down to like slowly opening where people like bars are opening again and things like that so you know it's turning back into that 24 hour type of town but more safe (laughs) yeah okay cool I mean I wish that for everywhere to start coming back to quote unquote normal Vegas is also one of those places where a lot of people go there but don't actually you know when you live there that's like downtown but then you have a life and you like go to the grocery store and 
it's not it's not Vegas for people who live in Vegas most of the time yeah being a local I don't go to the strip ever except if it's for like concerts which are not a thing right now but like I want to go to the strip for anything really except for maybe a fancy dinner once in a while so I definitely stay away from that which is funny because when people say oh you're from Vegas which like hotel do you live in no it's like I don't live in hotel I live in a suburb that's so funny well I'm from New York and people would ask like do you see the Empire State Building every day do you see the uh, Statue of Liberty and it's like no man I go to work (laughs) but the irony there is that actually I did see the Empire State Building pretty much every day because my graduate school was right across the street so while I was in grad school I did but do you think I went up and paid like 40 bucks to go up an elevator no I did not you know (laughs) anyway back on topic will you tell us a little bit about how auditory processing played out in your childhood or like when did you even learn about this term how has it affected you yeah so I kind of had a crazy case of it I actually had no idea that I had a learning disability until I was 18 and my parents I love them so much they didn't want to tell me that I had this learning disability so that I could learn how to kind of overcome it myself and learn not to use it as a crutch so like they didn't want me to use it as an excuse if I can't do something but when did they know? They knew since I was two years old. So they actually got me tested at two. And then they were like, we're going to try and help her in any way that we can, but we're not going to tell her because we didn't want her to like freak her out, all that type of stuff. So what they did behind the scenes for me, and I didn't realize this until they told me was they would talk to my teachers, put me in front of the classroom so that I could hear everything better. They knew which side I couldn't process well enough. So they put me on the side that I was able to process in all the time in classes. I'm like, why am I always in the same spot all the time? And that was one of the reasons why. So do you remember the testing though, like throughout your childhood going to audiologists? I didn't really do APD testing when I was a kid and like a teenager and anything like that because my hearing was always fine. So my hearing was completely normal. For testing in school though, it was a struggle. Like in high school and in middle school. My friends would study for an hour and would know everything that they studied. For me, I would study for like two hours to three hours and I wouldn't know anything. It would take me like a longer time to process stuff. And so when testing came, I was kind of an average student. I never really got A's. I always got B's and C's. And so I kind of didn't understand why I wasn't excelling, even though I loved school and I loved learning and things like that. And then when they told me about it, everything started to click because I did researching on my own. I looked online. I was like, what is this? I don't understand it. And then once I started noticing the symptoms that I was experiencing and noticing how like my schooling was and things like that, it all started to make sense. And was like, oh, I have this thing. Maybe I want to go into audiology and like learn more about it and help other people with it. And so I went to school, tried a couple of different courses. I tried graphic design because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then I switched over to audiology and speech pathology. So I transferred up to UNR. And when I was at UNR, I took speech pathology classes and I took tons of audiology classes. And I was really excited because my audiology teacher, she was also an audiologist herself. And she actually tested me for APD. And that's when I got more into that testing was in college. I was like 22, 23 years old. And so Because of college and UNR, I was able to say, yes, I still do have this disability. It's still there. It's not to that extreme of it being really, really bad where some kids can't just focus at all. I guess beginning to middle stages of it, 
but yeah, so it was really interesting. I did a whole slew of tests and learned more everything and had uh, help in schooling from then on. So yeah, I didn't do testing more until I was in college and when I had the accessibility to do testing. Can you share a little about, you said when things clicked for you throughout your schooling, what were some of the challenges you were having that you didn't really know why you were having them, but you experienced them. And then later on, you're like, oh, maybe it was about the processing. It clicked for me because I would talk to people and I would be like, did you really say this? And they'll be like, no, I didn't say that at all. I said this. I heard it in one way and it was something completely different. And a lot of people would make fun of me for it because you can't understand what I'm saying. Why is that? And it's like, I have no idea. Like, I just hear it this way. And that was a really big thing. And then schooling. So when I was in school, there was all the background noises and things like that, that would always get in the way. I realized that that was really hard for me to remember things because stuff would just be kind of mumbled and muffled. Just from what my friends say, from what my teachers have been telling me, they all kind of understood it before I even understood it. Cause they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just, we didn't understand you, but now we understand you. And it's funny. Cause it's like, we understand why. Yeah. And one of the things about auditory processing disorder is that there's different kinds and different skills within how we process sound. So for some students, filtering out background noise might be the area where it's the hardest for them. So when we find that out in the testing, we know what to recommend, which is going to be a quiet environment or a separate class or, or like pull out, things like that. Uh, but for someone else, they're processing like the area or the skills that they maybe have trouble with is in sequencing and memory. So you can't give like five step directions. You really got to take it down to one thing at a time. So that's like why this testing is so important because it tells us what are your strengths? What are the areas that you need support in? And it feels like you didn't have that knowledge. Maybe other people in your family did, but it didn't get to you. Another thing would be like the TV would be on and I couldn't understand what my dad was saying. He was sitting next to me because sound from the TV was coming in and out and it was like mixing up with what he was saying. I don't think my parents really saw the symptoms that I had. They did what they were told us to put me in front of the classroom. I don't think they really saw anything until I kind of explained to them more of what I was seeing and like experiencing. But then again, I also didn't really understand the experiences until college because that's when I really knew about APD. That's when I had all these extra tools to help me that those symptoms kind of subdue when I'm in classes and things like that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So looking back, even as you said it, you're like, I love my parents. <laughs> She's very sweet. You're not blaming them, but like, even so looking back, do you feel like knowing it or having a conversation about what they know about the challenges you're having? Do you think that would have helped you? Is that something you recommend to other parents to do? I love my parents for giving me the opportunity that I could go through things without having that crutch, so to say. When I found out, I was really upset about not knowing that I had this disability for years. And it's like I could have prevented some things. I could have made classes easier for me and things like that. But that's just me because some kids might use it as a crutch of like, I don't understand anything because I have this disability, blah, like whatever. But I do wish I would have known because I feel like if I would have known, I would have taken the steps to help my schooling. I feel like I didn't need the IEP because I know some kids would need that, that are on the spectrum that need it more than I did. But it's like, I kind of wish I had known so I could take the proper steps with classes. Like, oh, I could have used the frequency radio so I could have had the teacher's voice directly in my ear instead of it being muffled with everyone else. I wish I had like a note taker to take notes down that I missed because I couldn't hear it and things like that. 
Yeah, you would have had those services. You know, the funny thing is that sometimes you'll talk to other kids and they'll be like, my parents are making me wear this thing and I hate wearing this FM system in the classroom. Even if you could go back, there's no way to know what how your experience would have been better. But I think it's important to share that. And I do appreciate your honesty and your bravery really in sharing your experience because there's so many listeners now and parents who are in that place. You know, are they playing that they can't hear or are they serious about it? What services do they really need? And sometimes the service has a risk benefit analysis or pros and cons. How much does it help versus how much does it affect their self-identity or their socialization? Like you're looking at all these things as a parent, you're like, you don't necessarily know what's going to be right. And I'm just going to say, there's probably not one right thing. <laughs> like you got to see your individual child and their situation. Yeah. And I think for me, you, you brought up a point about self-identity for me growing up. I always felt like something was wrong with me and I had no idea why I knew something wasn't right. Like I knew I was wired differently. And I wish they would have told me earlier on, because I felt like if I would have known that I had this learning disability, things would have like made a whole lot more sense for me. I would have had more of a self-realization of, okay, I need to just think of a different way to do this. I'm not like everyone else. It makes me special. The whole self-identity part really stuck out to me. That's the thing that I wish I had when I was a kid. Instead of always feeling like weird and left out and things like that, like I wish I would have known that. Of course, and Juliana, again, I really appreciate you saying that. And at the same time, maybe some words of comfort there on that topic for you and for anybody listening. All children and all teenagers go through lots of self-identity crises in many ways about their culture and their language and their background. And some kids have different food at home and they're like, are we hiding it? Are we bringing it into school? And they have that whole thing going on or a different language at home or the family structure. Like it's mother's day and maybe the child doesn't necessarily have a mother and that can be really difficult for them. So like sometimes it helps to kind of zoom out and say every kid is going through life <laughs> and whatever it is and not to take away from your experience, but to feel more connected to this experience that everyone is having and to say, this was my story. I couldn't learn the same way other kids. I felt that everybody else was having one experience and I was different. And I feel like every young teenager pretty much feels that at some point, if it's about how you look or how you speak or like hobbies. And then the part of growing into your coming of age, it's when you finally realize like, hey, everybody's different in something. And these differences, like you said, make you really special. So that's quite a journey. I relate to it in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the biggest thing was graduating school. And I didn't think I would because I went to school just trying to get a bachelor's degree just because of learning everything about my APD and changing courses and things like that. I ended up graduating with a degree. And I know a lot of people that have a learning disability may not think that's possible, but it is possible. They just need the right type of help and the right type of things to help them move forward. And it's kind of ironic because my degree is in psychology and I'm doing auditory editing and like podcast producing and management and things like that, which is all auditory. And I have the learning disability. That's an auditory learning disability. But I like to see that it's one of my strengths because I pick out things that people can't hear usually. I will like edit that or whatever, but I don't know. It's like a fun thing for me to use my learning disability to do what I do now. And I'm kind of like using it as a strength instead of a weakness. That is amazing. You just flip the whole thing on its head. <laughs> it's like you focus so much on it and you recognize that you do have a strength in that. 
That's beautiful. You said you were 22 in college, you were taking these courses. So you had the testing for the APD and then were you able to use that then to get the services during the rest of your schooling? What kind of things did you get? I went to school at University of Nevada, Reno, and they have an amazing disability program. And I got everything that you could have for an APD learning disability. I had the FM radio. I had this amazing thing. I forget what it's called, but it's a pen that records the class and you take notes on a special piece of paper. And when you're taking notes, the pen is recording the audio. So if you go back to study and you're like, what does this note mean? I forget about it. You could click on like the bullet point that you had and that pen will go back to that audio recording. What? What is this? I need to learn about this. <laughs> yeah, I forget the pen name, but it's like really cool because I was able to go back, listen to what the teacher said. And yeah, they, there's so many different kinds. Okay, well, we're going to do some research on that and then put it in the show notes for sure. Did you have a note taker as well? Mm-hmm. So there's two different types of note takers. One of them actually was, I think it's called a note taker and a script recorder, which is amazing. So the note taker would take notes like normally, like on a piece of paper or whatever. And then there's someone that actually took down the whole entire class, what the teacher says, what the student says, they will write it all down and it'll be word for word. So like if I'm studying, I could go through the script and be like, okay, well, she said this is going to be on a test. So I could highlight what she said and use that in my notes. And I loved that because after every class, she would send me the notes and it's like, okay, yes, I do remember this. I remember hearing about this. And then I'd use the pen and it would all click and make sense. That was really cool and really unique. I loved it. And another thing that they did was I could go into a private room and do testing there. And I could have an extra 15 to 30 minutes on a test. So if a test was an hour or a class was an hour, I could have testing for an hour and 30 minutes in a private room with maybe like one or two other people doing different testing. Um, And that was really fun. I really loved that because I could take my time with answering the questions and background noises and people getting up and distractions and things like that didn't bother me. And then I think those are all accommodations I could have. And then if I didn't have the pen that I could record to take notes on, I was able to have a recorder with me so I could just like record the class. And the teacher would know some classes did not allow the person to take notes on the computer, like the whole script. So they would have the note taker with a pen and paper, like regular note taker in that class. So some classes allowed that and some classes did not. So yeah, I definitely learned a lot from the accommodations that I had and it helps me so so much (laughs) that's so amazing I'm really glad that you were able to finally get that support that you needed and that helped you get through those classes you know what's funny is that I had a friend in college who was employed by the office of disabilities to take notes in the classes that she was taking and then she was getting paid for her class notes that anyway she would be taking but then she would do it as a service to the other students and it's kind of like a real win-win for everybody (laughs) and I think there was a lot of confidentiality and she didn't know who necessarily the student was who was getting it unless a student would self-identify and say oh that's for me and then it would just go between them but she always had to submit them like with the date and the teacher had to sign that she was there and everything was very official so sometimes when you hear the other side then that helps but I also know they only pay students they also sometimes have a dedicated note taker that isn't taking the class who comes in. It was really cool because for my class with the note taker that did the whole script, someone else already in the classroom I was in was having that service. 
So basically what they did was they just emailed me the same notes too. And my teacher was like aware of it, but no one else in the classroom really knew like that us who were using that type of services, you know, we just thought it was someone taking regular notes, (laughs) but it's really, really cool. And I love that service that colleges offer because like when you're taking notes yourself, you miss so much stuff. You get distracted by so much. I realize I take the wrong type of notes. Like I don't take the right type of notes, you know? So it was really nice. Right. So we talked a lot about auditory processing side of things, but you also mentioned to me that you also have sound sensitivity to certain sounds. I want to talk about that a little. Tell me. The sound sensitivity is something I've noticed more recently. And sorry, there's sound going outside right now. (laughs) That's distracting me. That was like perfect. Right on cue. (laughs) Yeah. If it's something like that, that's loud. I will like have to rethink about what I say because it's like oh I'm distracted because that's too loud and it's like disrupting my thoughts and then another really big one recently is we have air ducts right now and if you turn them on like the vent I hate it because it's so loud and I'm like I can't think this is so annoying like I can't I don't know how to process anything because it's like too loud I can't even think my thoughts and then for the tv it's weird because I need it kind of loud, but I also use closed captioning for it to kind of help me understand what's being said. But yeah, lately it's been the air ducts that are really bothering me and the outside noises that are like super loud. If I'm at a restaurant, it would just be too loud to the point where like I could hear the littlest things of like something dropping and it just distracts me. But other sensitivity stuff is not too noticeable as my APD. So that's the only little experiences that I've have with it. So yeah, and I think one of the fascinating things about the way that we process sound and how for some people it's different, it gives us a real insight into what's going on when we listen and how we can have a lot of distracting noises, but sometimes our system will latch onto that and give it a lot of meaning and like all the attention goes there and then it might be hard to bring the attention back. But then when we can do that, it's pretty impressive of our mind the rest of the time when we are doing that. And then on the other hand, you are able to use that to your advantage. Like you said, that you pick up on things and it doesn't just like get filtered out for someone who maybe their auditory processing is more typical. They would have missed that. So it's always pros and cons in life and very situation dependent, but knowing what it is, I think is really, really valuable. And I'm glad that you now have a chance to analyze it and evaluate it for yourself as an adult. Yeah. And I think it's really cool too, because doing the auditory editing for podcasts, I do hear those specific things. Some people want to care if they heard it, but for me, it's like, I have to mute this because this is bugging me. And I'm sure other people bug them too. It's like little clicks people do when they talk and like little things like that, (laughs) that I like help edit out. I feel like some people just don't hear it the way that I do. Now I'm super self-conscious about my mouth clicking and... (laughs) No, it's fine. It's just like a me thing. It's like a sensitivity thing. And I know I do it too. It's just listening to podcasts because I do it all the time. I hear those like little things that go on in the background a lot that people don't pick up. (laughs) All right. And so to wrap up this all about you episode, when I, you know, bring in someone to share their experience, what advice would you have to our listeners who either they have a child and they are not sure how much to disclose to them or, you know, at what age to do something like that? What would your thoughts be on that? Of course. So because of how I learned my APD, my advice would be that 
if you're a parent that has a young kid and they're starting to show symptoms early, I think it would be best to disclose like, hey, you know, you do have this disability, but here are different ways that we can work with it and not make them see it as like an excuse that something's wrong with them, that they're special, that they're different, but it's something that you could work with. Know that even if they struggle, that they can still accomplish many great things. There have been people in all types of fields of work with APD. There's been actors with APD. There's been singers that have APD, things like that, where normally it's shown that they want to be successful in those areas, but they obviously can be. And just to keep that in mind to your child that you could be successful in anything you put your mind to. If you have this disability, you could find ways to work with it and around it and learn about it and figure out what works best for you everyone's different so I would suggest to definitely like talk to your kid when they understand that there's something different about them and not use it as something that's off-putting or that's weird with them but as more of an encouragement thing that they could see in the future type of way instead of a discouraging thing that's such great advice and that reminds me of a time when you brought up for me a memory of a school age, maybe 11 or 12 year old who was diagnosed with auditory processing. And when I was doing the counseling with the mom, I asked the mom, would you like me to also have your son in the room so we could review all of us together? And she thought about it. Like I gave her that option. And that was then part of the conversation. She decided that, you know, we would talk some ourselves and then bring him in and talk with him as well. When I spoke to him, he's like, yeah, I know. Like, yeah, that's hard for me. Yeah, that happens to me. So I really, like, I feel like that conversation meant a lot to him and to his mom. And that was a success, I hope. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm sure there are other times when it's not to the benefit of the child to have them involved, especially when they're much younger. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to go into it. And I'm so glad you shared your story with us today. Thank you so much for letting me share. I've always been wanting to share my story and let others know that even if you have a learning disability or something that feels like might be, you know, stopping you from doing something, it's more of your mindset, not because of the disability and you can do whatever you put your mind to. And I wanted to share that because I've been through it and I'm someone that understands, you know, and I want to let other people know, like you could be successful in whatever you decide to do. So Yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share all that. (laughs) That is awesome. And if people want to come and find you, tell us where you hang out. Of course. So I am mainly on Instagram. I have two. I have a personal one and then I have my business one. My personal one is at juliana.vincenza. And then my business one is julianapedry.pp. And that you could find more about like podcasting, podcast management and things like that. My personal one, I talk a little bit about APD. I do some more on my, like my personal Facebook page, but that might change. But yeah. And then I have a website, julianapedry.com. If anyone's interested in any type of podcasting services and things like that. I just remembered, cause you mentioned your Instagram and Facebook that you had posted about that Siri voice. <laughs> I think we should tell, tell people about that. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. So I love TikTok. I scroll on TikTok all the time and there's this new trend where they use the Siri voice <laughs> as like their script and it's just Siri talking. And I hate that so much because it's like, for me, for some reason, that like monotone voice, like that robotic voice, I can't, (laughs) I think it's like that ear sensitivity. It's just like a little pet peeve that I have because I understand you don't want to speak, but the robotic voice is just too much. And I guess that's another like sensitivity thing that I've been noticing. (laughs) 
Yeah, it cuts out all of these elements that help us understand, like the tone, the intonation, the prosody, all the things that go into speech, and it takes them all out, and it makes it like, "What are you doing? I am eating my breakfast." <laughs> oh, I hate that one too. And then I was commented to you about the quiver voice, where people are like trying to be like silly or whatever. I don't know why they put on this filter for the audio, but it makes everybody sound like they're crying. <laughs> And that one really hurts my heart. <laughs> yeah, I try to listen to that a couple times and I'm just like, why? I don't understand. Like, I understand that it's supposed to be funny, but for me, I just can't process it. It just goes right over my head. It's like, I don't understand the concept. So see ya, keep scrolling. Yeah. So look at that. <laughs> so that's how, you know, APD and other things affect even your social media consumption and it shows up in all different parts of your life. So you can start to see how it's not just about school and services, but it's also about other things in life. Anyway, I really do enjoy um, hanging out with you. So thanks for coming on the show. And everybody will know that there's full transcript of every episode at allaboutaudiology.com. Come and follow me on Instagram at All About Audiology Podcast. I answer all my DMs and I love when you share your biggest takeaways from the episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. This is the All About Audiology Podcast. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein.